Welcome to New Life, everybody. Is everybody having a good day? Okay, three people. It's fantastic. <clears throat> Must be horrible outside or something since no one's having a good day. No one, no one got any sleep last night? What in the world? Yeah, Simone, it's a great day. It's a great day to be at New Life, whether you're here in our main auditorium or, you know, out in our North Platte location right now, or maybe you're even worshiping with us, you know, in the venue. One church, multiple locations. It's exciting. God's doing great things. And this afternoon, we're going to celebrate some of the amazing things that God's doing here at New Life as we baptize 28 people. We've already celebrated that. It's just fantastic, man. God's transforming people's lives, and we all get to be a part of it. Now, that's the kind of church I want to be a pastor of. A pastor of a church that's growing, that's changing. And I'm talking about people, all right? Because uh, a church can grow, and it doesn't always grow numerically, Right? But a church must continue to grow spiritually. There's no, there's no ground for a church not growing spiritually. Uh, but we happen to be in a place where we're growing both spiritually and numerically. And that, my friends, is a real blessing from the Lord. And I thank him for that. All right? That's a blessing from God. That's right. So if you're a guest here with us, my name is Jeff Baker. I'm one of the pastors on staff if you're a guest with us in the venue or North Platte, I want to say welcome. Thanks for coming out. If you need any assistance today, our ushers are here to help you, as well as our welcome centers uh, have people that are there with a smile on their face. And if they don't, you talk to me about it. Um, but they're there, they're there to help us. Hey, we're in the middle of, uh, actually we're kind of towards the beginning, but we're beyond the first week of a teaching series that we've entitled Forgotten God. Uh, Forgotten God is a teaching series totally focused on the Holy Spirit. I know that you're comfortable with God the Father, and you're also probably comfortable with Jesus, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there are, uh, there are some amazing hurdles that it seems like the church wrestles with to figure out what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our personal lives, what's the role of the Holy Spirit in the church, um, and what in, who in the world is the Holy Spirit. And so that's why we're doing this teaching series, because it seems as if the Holy Spirit gets the short end of the stick a lot. Um, he takes the rap for a lot of weirdness. Uh, there's a lot of crazy things that happen that, you know, his name gets associated with. But I want you to know today, without a shadow of a doubt, here at New Life, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We believe that the three are one, called the Trinity, and we believe the Holy Spirit is God, period. So, today I want to talk to you about what, what are you afraid of when it comes to the Holy Spirit? What are you afraid of? So there's a lot of things that we have fears of. Does anybody here have a fear or a phobia that they're willing to admit? I have one. Some of you guys don't have any fears or no phobias at all. I would just venture to say you haven't been put in the right place then. Um, right? Because we all deal with fear in one way or another. Remember when you were a kid, you dealt with the fear of the monster under the bed, right? Or the monster, the worst one for me. I didn't worry about the bed because I had a water bed. There was nothing getting underneath that bed. Um, you're going to die if you got underneath that bed. But mine was the fear of like what was in my closet. Anybody else remember that one? I mean, the door is slightly cracked open and you're like, what's in the closet? Uh, and you're, you don't dare get out of bed to even check it, do you? And then you hear, you hear the house creak or whatever and you're wondering to yourself, it's in the closet. I'm going to die. Where's my parents? But we all have all kinds of fears. Maybe you have this kind of a fear. Maybe you fear that right there. Does anybody fear dogs? Right, stare deep into the dog then, all right? Um, so some of you guys, you, you might fear that, right? Uh, that, that could be a little bit ferocious, if not for the chain. 
But then I always think what happens if the chain breaks. Okay, so let's go to the next one. Maybe you have a fear of this. Yeah. Now, now is when I really wish I had a camera that I could see the people in North Platte or in the venue. Like I can see some of you here because some of you won't even, some of you won't, you won't even look at me. Right? You won't even look at me because you're afraid. I might go like this. Ah, oh, there's the snake. Right? I mean, look at that thing with its fangs. It just wants to suck right into your flesh. I mean, it's, oh, man. All right. Maybe you have a fear of this, though. See, this is the one that gets me, man. When, when <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of step up here, if you guys don't mind. Um, there's something about spiders in me that we just don't get along very well. Um, I don't like spiders. I never have. I probably never will. The only place I like a spider is right underneath that bad boy. So you know what I'm saying? And if I can't reach it with that, like kick it or what? I don't even try to kill it with my hand. Forget it. I call my wife. I don't even, I don't even have, I, I'm not afraid to admit that. But we all have fears and those fears, when you have, if you have a fear of a snake or a spider, when you see one of those things, it just kind of like, it makes you freeze. You just stop. The fear, it, it, like, it causes you just to like freeze right where you're at. But some people have other fears as well. So let's get that thing off the screen. Some of you guys have this fear. How, how could you fear something so cute and so lovable? It's just trying to eat. But some of you have a fear of birds. I have a friend that has a fear of birds. And I'm not going to mention his name. Um, but he is on staff with us and his name starts with an R. So... And you know what? Everybody on staff with me's name starts with an R. So you have to try to figure out who it is. Reverend who, right? See what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. So how about, so some of you guys might be afraid of, of birds. Um, to help my friend Roger, I'll go to the next one. <laughs> some of you, some of you might be afraid of heights. I mean, seriously, we don't think that this thing has been photoshopped, but... Uh, this is a bridge. Here's a bus. That's a car. This guy's kind of hanging over the edge, holding his, I think it's his friend. I don't know. This might be his last moments of life. I have no idea. But this, look at these people up here. They're just down there on the beach like we're going to be. This is insane. This is crazy. If that was your kid and your kid came home and they showed you, mom, dad, look what I just did. You'd kill him right there on the spot. It'd be done. You'd be like, you wish that you would have dropped there because now what I'm going to do to you, right? You don't do that. So some of you right now staring at this, you kind of get that woozy feeling on the inside and you don't want to look at it either, right? A fear of heights. We have all different types of fears. And one of the fears that's detrimental to your eternity and is detrimental to the kingdom of God on this earth is a fear of the Holy Spirit. It's a fear of what will the Holy Spirit want to do in me? Like, how will he want to change me if I really, truly surrender my life and I say, God, I want the power of your spirit to rule me. I want the power of your spirit to really reign in me. What will he do? Some of you have a fear of what the Holy Spirit might ask you to do. You know, because you have examples or situations that have happened in your past that haven't been the most positive for you. And you're just afraid of what the Holy Spirit might ask you to do. He might ask you to go pray for someone for healing, and you're like, well, what if it doesn't happen? Or he might ask you to go you know, share a scripture with somebody, and they might think that you're weird. What will he ask me to do? Others of you have a fear of what others might think of you if you truly surrendered your life completely and said, Holy Spirit, have your way in me. There's a song we're going to sing today 
the theme song of this teaching series. It's going to have words like, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place, my heart, and fill the atmosphere, this church. When you pray that, though, some of you, some of you sing it, but you're like, I don't know if I really want you to come and truly fill this place. Because what will people think of me? I might, they might think that I become one of those radical Christians. One of those charismatic Christians. One of those, you know, Bible-thumping Christians. What will they think? And the fear of what others will think and the fear of what the Holy Spirit might do, it keeps us, it holds us in bondage as if you just saw a spider and it freezes you. Or you just saw a snake and you don't know what to do. And the fear of what, of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and wants to do through you many times causes you to say, okay, God, I will seek you, but I'm going to be the one in control. And for many of you, your Christianity today is a Christianity where you are trying to be in control. And I'm telling you today, that's not how the kingdom of God works and it's not how the relationship with God works through his spirit. And Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, he found this out really quick. Because he was the go-to man in his town. He was, he was, you know, casting magic. He was doing sorcery. The people of his town thought that, you know, he was, he was a god at least. And they were worshiping him and they were calling him the great one. Until one of the disciples shows up to his town in Acts chapter 8. And that disciple, Philip, starts preaching the power of God. And people start getting their lives transformed and changed. And demons start getting cast out. And people start getting healed. And the manifestation of the Holy Spirit becomes powerful in Acts chapter 8. So much so that Philip uh, is there doing this, that Simon starts losing people. People start abandoning Simon the sorcerer. And they start following Philip, the man filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So Simon's got to go figure out what in the world's going on. He hears this message and Simon decides, I'm going to follow the same God that they preach. I'm going to follow this Holy Spirit. And he gives his life, the Bible says, and he's baptized in water even, like we're going to do later today. And then Simon starts following the disciples around. There's so much work of God that's happening that the disciples call for reinforcements. The reinforcements show up. They start laying hands on people, um, you know, that are believers. And those people start being filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. Simon, who is, he, he once owned this town and he's losing ownership of it, has this brilliant idea. He thinks he can control the Holy Spirit, so he makes a wager, he makes an offer to the disciples concerning the Holy Spirit. Take a look at what he says to them. It says, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid hands on the people, he offered them money to buy this power. Bad idea. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they'll receive the Holy Spirit as well. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking that God's gift can be bought or that God's gift can, can, be, can be controlled. For you and me, just similar to Simon, he thought that he could control it. He feared what was happening through God's spirit in his town that he was losing control. He thought he could buy the Holy Spirit. He would be in control. He could earn back all of the favor of all the people. He was totally wrong. He got rebuked for that, and he ends up going back probably to his old ways. 
It's, distract, it's destructive when we think that because of our fear or our intimidation of what God might do in us or through us that we can control him. And I'm telling you, you can't. The Holy Spirit is God. He is God. Do you think you can control God? No. That's not, it's not possible. You and I were created by him. How does, how does the creation control the creator? And the Holy Spirit is God as well. In Acts chapter 5, a whole nother scenario happens. Because of their fear of the Holy Spirit, they lie to him and they avoid him. In this story, in Acts chapter 5, it's Ananias and Sapphira. These people were part of the following of Christ. They were part of the early church. And they, they had felt like the Holy Spirit instructed them to go sell some land. So they went and they sold this land. But when they brought it to the church to give the money to the work of the kingdom, they decided to only give half. So they walk in the door and they're going to give their offering. And they say, we sold our land. We're going to give you all of it. But they only gave half. You know what happened to them? You'll have to read it. It's unbelievable. Boom. They stop breathing. They drop to the ground. They're dead. Their fear of trying to lie to caused their own destruction. Their fear of trying to avoid caused their own destruction. Yeah, that's in the New Testament. That's not some Old Testament. You have to go read that. See, so the Holy Spirit is powerful. And we should have a healthy fear of the Holy Spirit. But that fear should drive us to obedience. Shouldn't drive you to a fear like scary as if the Holy Spirit is some, you know, person dressed up in a costume on Halloween. It's not that kind of a fear. The Holy Spirit is the, the lead role in some horror flick. The Holy Spirit should be reverenced in awe and in fear because he is powerful. You don't mess with him just like you wouldn't mess with God. But I want to help you today to overcome some of these unhealthy fears so that you can seek the, the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit in your life. I want you to be a church that seeks to be full of God's Spirit because in the Bible, believers that were full of God's Spirit did miraculous things and God's church took off. It thrived. It was alive. It grew in miraculous ways with people that were full of God's Spirit following His Spirit in, on this earth. And that's who I want you to be. That's exactly the way the Apostle Paul wanted for his young, his young, like, his young student called Timothy. Paul wrote these books in the New Testament, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and he wrote those books to who? It was, it's not a true question. Timothy, right. I wanted to see how you know, much of a Bible scholar that you might be. So he writes 1st and 2nd Timothy to Timothy, and listen to this, to instruct Timothy basically on how to overcome his fears and his intimidations as a young leader now being sent to this new church. He was young. He didn't have all the experience under his belt. He didn't have Paul there to continue his, his instruction and his teaching. So he writes First and Second Timothy in the New Testament, and he gives it to him as instructions to help Timothy overcome some of his fears of leadership and to help Timothy even overcome his fear of allowing the Holy Spirit to use him. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says this to Timothy. For God has not given you, Timothy, a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. These three things are like antidotes to the fear of God using you, of the Holy Spirit filling you, and the Holy Spirit doing radical things through you. The spirit of power, the spirit of love, and the spirit of a sound mind. 
So I want you to know today, you can be confident, secure, and hungry to pursue the seeking of the Holy Spirit in your life because of this first reason. God will give you a spirit of power. A spirit of power, it's a supernatural power. It's not a superhero power, though. We live in a pretty popular superhero world. The Holy Spirit's not going to fill you so that you can, with a single leap and a single bound, jump over new life in North Platte or over new life in Kearney. He's not going to give you that. Nor, nor is it the, the power to step out, and, uh, out on uh, 39th Street in front of New Life here in Kearney and to stop a car that the police are chasing with your bare hand, put your hand on it, and it just stops at that moment. Nor is it to, you know, have a breastplate that you can deflect bullets off of. It's not a superhero power. It's a supernatural power. Let me tell you, this is what I mean by that. He, the Holy Spirit, wants to give you the power to defeat sin. The power to defeat sin? Yeah, he is constantly speaking to you. He's constantly reminding you, stay away from that, that's sin. That's gonna separate you from God. Stay away from that, that's sin. It's gonna, it's gonna bring death. That's what real power is. Real power is the power of the Holy Spirit to help you avoid sin and to avoid death and to live a life that honors God and worships God. The Holy Spirit also wants to give you a supernatural empowerment, though, to fulfill God's will on your life. I think that's why you're here today. Many of you are here today because you want to fulfill God's will in your life. you're, You're hungry for God. You're hungry for what God's doing in your life. And you just want your life to honor him all that much more. And I honor you for that. Please never come to any church on a Sunday just to fulfill some religious checklist. It's a waste of your time. Have your heart in the right place and go, God, I'm coming to seek you today so that your will might be accomplished in me and through me. That's one of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Because you and me, we are incapable of accomplishing God's will on our own. We just are. We cannot do it. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit if we're gonna fulfill what's written in God's library about your life. For a long time, as I've prayed over the last many, many years, it's as if I've seen at times this picture of a library in, in, the king, in, in God's, you know, castle, if you will, whatever, in God's temple, this library. And in this library are books, and every book has, has a name on it, Jeff Baker. It has your name on it. And that book in its entirety is God's will for my life. It's just a visual picture for me. And if I open that book up, God would quickly want to take me to where I'm at. And he would want to say, let's pick up from this chapter and let's keep moving forward. And some of us have closed the book on chapter three and we said, enough's enough. God, I still love you. I believe in Jesus, but you know, I'm taking the comfortable road. I'm taking the easy road. And I want you to know today, there are many more pages, many more chapters, many more adventures, many more things that you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish in your life because your book is not done yet. But in God's heart, it's already been written because God has a plan for you to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and to give you a future. I'm telling you, the book is complete. It's time for you and me to start seeking him to accomplish his will, and you can't do it on your own. Nor can you do it if you let fears like this inhibit you, a fear of what will happen if I step out in faith and the Holy Spirit doesn't show up. 
Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is God. He doesn't set people up for failure. He just won't do that for you. Or don't let this fear inhibit you either. What if the Holy Spirit doesn't transform me? What if I seek after God and I hunger after God, but you know, my life isn't transformed, it isn't changed. It's the same way that it was a year ago. Let me just tell you something. Jesus is in the business of transforming your life. That's why he went to the cross, died on the cross, and rose again from the grave, so that your life and my life doesn't have to look the same as it did a week ago or a year ago. But what we have to do is surrender to God and allow him to really truly do what he wants to do in our life. I'm telling you, I guarantee you, the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring spiritual transformation to your life. So you don't have to fear that. Nor do you have to fear, what if I follow the Holy Spirit and I'm not happy or I don't make enough money? Like, what if I follow the Holy Spirit, right? And, and five years from now, I'm not even happy. I'm just going to tell you this right now. If you surrender your life to Jesus, you're not going to be happy. You're going to be full of joy. That's way different than happiness. You're going to be full of joy if you surrender your life to the work of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be full of peace. You're going to be a person full of self-control. You're going to be a person full of patience. Because that's the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And money, I'm telling you, you, you're going to get to a point where, you know, things of this earth, they, they continue to decrease while the things of eternity continue to increase in your heart. That's what happens. Money's it's not an issue. You could have a million or you could have a thousand. It won't, it won't matter to you. Because it's all about what does God want to do with eternity? And how does God want to use me? And that means. So don't fear the work of the Holy Spirit, you know, because that's going to hold you captive and you're not going to move forward and, and become the person that God really wants you to be. Don't let that stop you either. Don't let fear stop you. In Matthew chapter 17, the, the disciples had been given this opportunity to pray for this boy who was demon-possessed. They pray for him. Guess what? Nothing happens. They could have easily given up. But instead of giving up, they continued to follow Jesus. They didn't understand it. They couldn't figure it out. They wished that it wasn't that way, but nevertheless, it was. You know, just a little while after that, Jesus sends out the disciples two by two. And guess what one of the things was that he asked them to do? Go cast out demons. At that point, the disciples could have said, I'm out. I forget this. I tried it once. It didn't work. And now, Jesus, you send us out two by two. Sure, Jesus, I'll do what you want me to do. And you walk out and head wherever you want to. But that's not what the disciples did. They took the challenge and they trusted God. And you know what happened? They were overwhelmed with what the Holy Spirit did in them and through them. They were full of joy because of it. And they couldn't help but share it with Jesus when they got back. So don't give up just because you prayed for somebody and you stepped out and you tried to exercise a spirit of power and nothing happened. Because that's what, that's what you know, happened to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17. The prophet Elijah... He shows up at this house where this woman has a son, and the son is dead. So Elijah prays for him once. Guess what? Still dead. Prays for him a second time. Yep, you got it. Still dead. So he decides where many of us would just totally walk away. He decides, I'm going to pray a third time. Prays the third time. Guess what happens? <gasps> the lungs are full of air. The kid comes alive again. You know, if you're the mom of the son who has the dead boy, aren't you thankful that Elijah didn't quit after try number one with God's power? So you can't let the fear of failure get in your way. 
You can't, like a, you can't let the fear of, well, God, you don't move in my timing and you don't move the way I want you to. You don't let that kind of fear inhibit you from experiencing the true power of God. Don't, don't let that, you know, think to yourself that God's abandoned us or that God, God's not wor- worthy of being trusted. No, just, uh, just give yourself completely to him and keep stepping out and keep walking by faith. I remember from my own personal life in 1994, it was time to get out of the Air Force and to go into full-time ministry. And I knew exactly where God wanted us to go. We're going to move from Anchorage. We're going to move to Valdez. Valdez is at the end of a highway, right? It's not like Shelton where you can drive to it and through it, both east, west, north, and south. When you get to Valdez, there's no, you, you, the same way you got there is the same way you leave, unless you're hopping on a boat. It's at the end of the road. There's only so many options. And one thing that I knew for sure was God called us there, but we are about seven to nine days before we're supposed to move and we still don't have a place to live. I have a wife and four kids with no place to live. What would you have done? Would you have walked out on the front lawn of your house or stuck your finger up to heaven and go, how come you don't come through? You made me look like an idiot. I signed these papers, I'm getting out of the Air Force and you don't even have a place for my family to live? This is ridiculous. What would you do? complain to God? Would you abandon the call? Would you walk back into the office of the recruiter and go, hey, just joking. Can we rip up my old papers? I'm going to stay for a little while. But it's often that God, God stretches us in our faith by the first time that we think something should have happened, like 60 days before this, we should have had housing. No, 30 days before this, we should have had housing. I got people calling me, where are we supposed to move your stuff to? I don't know yet. Well, you better come up with a plan because your family and four kids are moving, you know? And then all of a sudden, what does God do? God provides a house. The call comes and there's the opportunity. What an amazing God we have. But you've got to stick it out all the way to the end or you're going to miss out on some of the best that God has for you. God wants to use you in powerful ways to give you the, the gift of faith and to give you, the, to give you the, the, the faith, you know, to have the power to even trust him to, for healing or the power to step out and give someone a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or to speak in tongues or to prophesy about the future. And I want to tell you the reason why God wants you to do that. God wants you to experience the power of the Holy Spirit because his kingdom is built on power, not on talk. Take a look at this scripture. In 1 Corinthians, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what? But of power. If you want to follow the king, you have to live a life of power, not of talk. It's not good enough just to say, I believe in Jesus. It's not good enough just to say, I go to new life. We have to live a life of power. Power is trusting God is going to heal somebody at your work enough that you're going to pray for them at work. And sticking with it, going, I know that God wants to do something. Healing might look different than what my definition is, but I know that God's for you and God wants to do something amazing. Walking in power is sharing your faith instead of keeping it to yourself all the time. You know, walking in power, not just an ordinary life, but an extraordinary life. And that's what God wants to do through you. Just please remember this, though. Never, never lose sight of this. God wants to fill you with the spirit of power to accomplish his will, not to accomplish yours. And oftentimes, we seek the power of God to accomplish our will. We've got a need. We seek the power of God for our immediate need. It's your will. 
You need to know something. The true spirit of power that drives out fear is a power to accomplish God's will. And that's the kind of power that drives out fear. There's another reason why you should, with everything inside of you, seek the the Holy Spirit to fill you in your life. And that's because God will give you a spirit of love. A spirit of love. Now, before you just tune me out for this whole point, because you think you already know what I'm going to say, just pay attention for a moment. God is love. That's what 1 John says. And then the Bible goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to explain to us what is love. Now, when I read this passage in just a moment, I want you to think of it from multiple different avenues. First off, God wants us to love him with the virtues that are listed in 1 Corinthians 13. Secondly, God wants us to love others with those same virtues. So what is love? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. So before we continue to read, are you truly a loving person? Because when you look at a list like what we just read, there might be a couple of things that stood out and went, hmm, I wasn't as kind as what I ought to be this week. I wasn't as patient as what I ought to be. That's okay. Don't beat yourself up for that. I'll tell you what God wants to do with that in just a minute. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Say these last three words with me. Love never fails. There's one thing One thing that just boldly stands out in the whole definition of love. When God says, I'm going to give you a spirit of love, there's one attribute that you don't even get close to seeing and or hearing or feeling as you read that. You know what it is? Fear. Fear is nowhere in, it's nowhere in sight when you, when you talk about this, this spirit of love. This, these attributes of God. These, This list that defines the very character and the very nature of God. When God says, I am love, God gives us his own DNA right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And then God says, I want you to love me with that same DNA. And I want you to love others with that, with that DNA. And if you do, something fantastic will happen. So look at, well, look at this kind of equation I've put together for us. A love for God plus a love for people equals something that's radical. It equals no fear. When you are loving God, abandoning yourself to God, God's doing something supernatural inside of you. He's giving you a love for people. And that love for God and that love for people drives out fear. It causes causes people's opinions not to control you anymore. People's opinions will always matter, but they don't have to control you. When people's opinions control you, then fear comes up. But perfect love, it captures that fear and it destroys that, that kind of fear. It, 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 you know, when you've got a love for God and you have a love for people, then you don't worry about what other people are gonna think if you're going to quit your job and you're gonna move to Valdez. I took a lot of flack over that from some of my superiors. They thought that I was completely irresponsible that I would uproot my family and move to Valdez and not get paid anything to become a youth pastor. It was, almost on, it was almost on the verge of you're abusing your family. I took a lot of flack over that. See, but you, opinions will matter, but they won't control you. In your life, 
You might be challenged by the Holy Spirit to give something great away, give some finances away, or to give your time away. And others might look at you and go, you're in the prime of your life. Why are you giving away such a large sum of money? Their opinions will matter, but they won't control you because the Holy Spirit's the one directing you. You know, you're giving so much of your time, you know, to ministry and to the church, you know, and to the work of God. I mean, you're, you're in a moment when you should be doing something else and having fun. But no, you're like, man, I want to abandon myself to the cause of Christ. And other people's opinions, they'll matter, but they won't control you. That's what happens when the spirit of love gets inside of your heart and it transforms you from the inside out. You become similar to a mom who might be walking a toddler next to a river. And all of a sudden, the toddler falls into the river. What does the mom do at a moment like that? Moms, what does the mom do? She dives in, right? Yeah, but what about the alligators that might be in there? What about the rocks? What about the large fish? What about the potential snakes that might be? What about the current that might suck her down and, you know, hurt her in some way? Does a mom even think about those kinds of things when the toddler falls into the river? No. Perfect love starts capturing fear and it drives it away. That's what 1 John chapter 4 says to us. It says, there is no love in, there's no fear in love, but perfect love does something. What does it do? It drives it out. It drives it away. You and me, we need to start asking the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with the kind of love as described in 1 Corinthians 13. So when we read 1 Corinthians 13, or the assignment that I want you to do when you go home today is read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through the beginning of 8. And I want you to be asking God one question. God, what virtues of love do I need to be emulating more of? Because whatever those virtues are, that's how God's going to fill you with more of the spirit of love. It's as you identify an individual virtue that God wants to develop in your heart. Then you start praying about that. God, fill me with more patience or fill me with more self-control. Or God, help me. You know, love is not rude. Love is not easily angered. God, help me in these areas. Help me to, by the power of your spirit to have more of a spirit of love inside of me that will cast out fear. And it will cause others to want to know you and follow you. That, that's what God's really wanting us to do. Just remember that Jesus, he was full of the Holy Spirit and he manifested love everywhere that he went, all the way to the cross. The spirit of love inside of Christ helped him to overcome the fear of the cross. He loved his father enough that he went to the cross. He loved his mission enough that he went to the cross and he overcame the fear or the intimidation or the knowing of the pain that was going to happen. Remember in the garden? Lord, if there's a way that this cross thing can just like disappear and we can do another plan, that would be awesome. Because there's some real emotions that are being stirred in me right now. But nevertheless, because I love you and I love the mission that you sent me on, let your will be done. Perfect love drives out fear. The spirit of love overcomes fear. Here's the third thing though. The third reason why you and me should seek the Holy Spirit with a ferociousness inside of us. The Holy Spirit will give you a sound mind. I love this point. The Holy Spirit will give you a sound mind. Remember, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and a sound mind. Here's something you need to know super clear today. The Holy Spirit is not here today to give you insanity. 
The Holy Spirit is not here today to create chaos. The Holy Spirit is not here today to create confusion. The Holy Spirit wants to come into your life and he wants to fill you to give you a sound mind. A sound mind can also be interpreted in other you know, versions of the Bible as self-control or even self-discipline. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. That's awesome. Why? Because he wants us to give pure worship to God. That's why. A sound mind, self-control, self-discipline, it helps you to live a more holy life. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to take over your life to make you look insane, to make you look crazy, or to do foolish and dumb things. He wants to bring glory and honor to the Father. He doesn't want to distract people away from God. He wants to entice people to worship God. Please know today that the Holy Spirit wants to work through you to make you have a sound mind. The Holy Spirit is not going to possess you like some ventriloquist puppeteer possesses some puppet and sticks his hand into their back and up into their mouth and all of a sudden this puppet is doing things and it doesn't even know how it's happening. You're not some puppet in God's hand that's going to radically end up in some place and all of a sudden you're going to wake up and you're going, why are my hands on this person? Why am I praying for them to be healed? He's not going to do that to you. Nor is he going to have you wake up in some place and you're going to be prophesying. You're not, he's not going to do that. The Holy, Spirit, he, the Holy Spirit respects you, but the Holy Spirit respects the mission of God. And the mission of God is that you have the ability to say yes and or no to the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is not here to possess you to do crazy things. The Holy Spirit is here to bring order to chaos. He's here to bring truth to lies. He's here to proclaim Jesus is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And if there's anything outside of that that's happening, that's not why the Holy Spirit came. And that's what Paul deals with in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 when he speaks to the church of Corinth. And he says, guys, I want you to remember. Remember that people who prophesy are what? In control of their spirit. And they can take turns. People that are prophesying are in control. Paul had to write this to these guys because their worship services were out of control. They were a hyper-spiritual group of people that were overriding one another left and right, prophesying over the top of each other, saying things. They were driving people away from the kingdom instead of causing people to want to worship God. And Paul came and he brought order to their chaos with, their, with his instructions. But I want you to notice something that Paul didn't do. Paul didn't ostracize the Holy Spirit in his instruction. Paul brought order so that the Holy Spirit could bring worship and honor to the Father. And in, at New Life, at New Life, we are not banning the Holy Spirit. That's not what we're doing. We are wanting to cause order in such a way that the Holy Spirit can work in, in a way that draws people to, to Jesus more than ever before. But in the midst of the Holy Spirit bringing a sound mind, you do need to realize there's going to be things that the Holy Spirit's going to do, even at this church and through others at this church, that's going to stretch you. It's going to stretch you in big ways. Because I believe that where we're at as a church, that the, if this is the lid, God's wanting to raise the lid. He's wanting to raise the bar on the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our church in impacting people and drawing more people into the kingdom of God. But it's going to be something that creates order and not disorder. 
Because that disorder brings fear, and God isn't a, doesn't bring a spirit of fear, but he brings one of a sound mind. Let me give you an example of some of the things that are, that are gonna happen that are gonna stretch you. I remember, I remember things like telling a youth pastor one time that I was gonna take his job. Now, that, I don't recommend that, by the way, all right? I don't recommend that you go into your boss, boss's office and tell him, I, I really sense God told me I'm gonna take your job. But that's what the, that's what the Spirit of God was on me and in my heart so strong that for like a month building up to this moment that we sat across this table together and ate lunch, that God was just going, you're going to go to that church. You're going to go to that church. You're going to be the youth pastor of that church. And I'm like, I, but my friend's at that church. He's the youth pastor. And then we're sitting down and we're eating lunch with each other. And I just open my mouth and I just tell him, I really sense God's telling me, I'm going to come and I'm going to work with you as the youth pastor. And he sits there and he leans back in his chair. And some of you have heard this story before, but he looks at me and he goes, no way. Man, we, we were praying about that a week ago. And we said, man, if Jeff would come and be the youth pastor, I want to make a transition. That would be awesome. That, that's amazing. That'll stretch you. Or the moment when I gave away a perfectly good car when we needed two cars. And I drive home and I walk into the house, into the kitchen, and I look at my wife and I say, honey, I think we're supposed to give this car away. And she goes, I think we are too. And so we gave away a perfectly good working car that we needed. That'll stretch you. Or when I moved my whole family out of the Air Force, the Valdez, that'll stretch you. Or when I left eight years ago, a perfectly good church called New Life to go to Omaha to help plant a church called Flatland. That made no sense. I had a lot of people telling me, why are you leaving New Life? It's perfect. Everything's great. Why are you leaving? Well, now I know. I left so that God could prepare me to bring me back. But at the time, it didn't make sense. There's going to be things that the Holy Spirit's going to stretch you with. But you need to know, he's still going to give you a sound mind. You are still in control. It's your, it's your ability to say whether you're going to let the Holy Spirit lead you or not. And my challenge to you is this. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Let him lead you. Let him lead you to share your faith with others. Let him lead you to pray for others for healing. Let him lead you down to this altar to pray with somebody as they're knelt down at North Platte or they're knelt down in the venue, or they're knelt down here in our main auditorium, let him lead you down to the altar just to meet with them and to pray with them. You're like, but I don't know them. It's okay. If God's beating that on your heart, come down, kneel down next to them, and just pray for them what you sense God's put on your heart. It could be the very thing they're looking for. Share with people as you read God's word and God, God shows you the scripture and, he, and then he reminds you of this person. Take that verse and give it to them. Don't let your past pain, your past hurt, your past confusion, your past experiences keep you from experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit. God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He gave you one of power, love, and a sound mind. If you're going to be concerned about anything with the Holy Spirit, be concerned or fear this in 1 Thessalonians. Fear quenching the Spirit. You don't want to find yourself in that place. I don't want to find myself in that place. Let's not quench the Holy Spirit. But let's be like a sponge and let's soak up the Spirit of God. Let's be those people. Let's be, let's be a group of people that don't keep pushing off the voice of the Spirit like we push off the diet we need to start. 
If you hear, you sense God's spirit speaking to you today, you answer with a firm and bold yes. Don't push him off. Don't don't quench the spirit. Don't avoid him. Don't lie to him. Don't try to manipulate him. Don't try to control him. If you sense God's spirit is calling you to worship, you follow it. You sense God's spirit is calling you to lay your life down and to make Jesus the Lord and leader of your life, you follow it. You sense God's spirit is put on your heart to pray with somebody that's in worship with you today. You, you go over there and, and gently and politely you ask them, may I pray with you? If you sense that you need to come down to the altar, you come down to the altar and kneel down because God's going to do something in your life. If you sense the Holy Spirit is leading you to read God's word while we sing, you, lead God, you, you follow that. And you get out God's word and you read it instead of singing. If you sense God's spirit is telling you to come down to the, one of the altars in North Platte or the venue or wherever and to pray with somebody, you come down and you pray with them. But you do it with a sound mind. You, you do it with a spirit of love. And you do it realizing you don't own power. The power of the Holy Spirit is something you surrender to and he uses you. Let's be a group of people that don't operate by fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, Lord, you are in complete control if we'll just surrender to you. That, Lord, you're still working on our behalf. You're still, you're still wanting us to finish the book that's written about our lives, that defines our, our purpose of why we're even here. And, Lord, today, there's nothing that we have to fear when it comes to the moving and the working of your Spirit other than us trying to control or us trying to quench. Lord, will you fill our church in all three locations today with the spirit of power and with the spirit of love and with the spirit of a sound mind? We surrender our lives to you. We invite you to be the Lord and the leader and to be our king. Lord, your kingdom is not one of just talk. Nor is it one of just singing songs. Nor is it one of just preaching a sermon. But it's a kingdom of power. And the power is through your Holy Spirit living in us and moving through us. And may that be our story. In Jesus' name, amen.